the scripture today is uh, Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 44. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. It is already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Well, good morning. It's good to be here with you guys. Um, there's a couple of things I just want to uh, share with you that we can be praying about. I actually want to take a moment here to pray for them. Uh, Marion and Kelvin. Uh, Marion uh, right now is in the hospital. Uh, for those of you who know her, she, they've been with us from the beginning. Um, they're having, uh, she's having a pregnancy complications. And they're, I believe, about seven months in. And so this is a little scary for them. And so uh, we want to be praying for them. Uh, we, we, we might be organizing care for them and, and those sorts of things. But it's to the extent, it's serious enough that it sounds like uh, the doctors are right now suggesting that she's going to stay in the hospital for the duration of the pregnancy or be at home on complete bed rest. So let's be praying for Marion. The other one is I just found out today that Marcel uh, had a heart attack this weekend, a bit of a heart attack, went into the hospital, spent five days. I asked him this before, before I um, share this. Um, it was in the hospital for five days. It's been released. The, uh, everything, the procedure went okay, went well. Um, you're going to get checked up again uh, this Thursday. But let's be praying for Marcel as well. Uh, those of you who know Marcel, you know that he's just, I, he's a blessing that rubs off on all of us. And so we want to be praying for them. And then there's just a number of people sick today. There's a lot of people sick. It's just, so let's, let's pray and then, and then I'll also pray for our time in the Word. Lord, uh, first of all, we pray for uh, Miriam and Kelvin. Um, would you give them your peace, your comfort uh, in this time that is uh, uh, hard for them? They're trying to, to piece it all together. And of course, uh, mostly we pray for healing. Lord, if, if baby is not doing well or she's not doing well, as the doctors are still trying to figure this out, uh, bring healing. And may the pregnancy go to full term and have no complications. Let baby be, be good and healthy. And uh, help us as a family take care of them in this time. And Lord, thank you that uh, Marcel, after having a, a bit of a scare this week, is doing well today. Uh, we ask that you watch over him and his body. Let, let his body continue to heal well at the procedure. Guard him. Thank you for the gift that he is to this family. And, uh, and then, Lord, for, for all those who are sick, there are many. Would you, would you be with them? 
um, bring them uh, back to, to, uh, with us uh, healthy again. Now, Father, as we uh, study your word, would you give us your spirit? Father, there's nothing better, in, in my opinion, than really sitting at your feet and learning from you, and that's what we want to do. Please help uh, me get out of the way and uh, you to show up uh, through these words. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, all right. This is, we've come now to perhaps the most famous of all of Jesus' miracles, the feeding of the multitude. It's in every single one of the gospel accounts, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the only miracle that's in all of those accounts. And what's great about it for me as I was studying it this week is there is, there is widespread uh, agreement as to what it's about. And that is it's giving us a clear picture of what ministry with Jesus is intended to be. What it's supposed to be like serving and loving others. And I just think, as a, as a new church, what better text to be thinking about right now? I mean, we've been just at this for a couple of months. And if we have a value, it's to be about Jesus, not really adding to what he says, not taking away from what he says, but being about him as best we can, learning from him, and taking what he teaches out into the world, living it in our lives. And so here's a text that folks are saying, if you want to understand what it looks like to live and do ministry as a follower of, of his, it's this one right here. And so I'm excited to look at it for that reason. Um, and if there's, if, there's a, if there's a word that this whole text hinges upon, it comes in verse 34, in my humble opinion. Uh, it says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion. Everything hinges upon this word compassion. This miracle would not have happened if Jesus had not had compassion. It's what leads to all the events that happen. And so what I want to do today is focus on compassion. Understand, what is this text? How do we better understand compassion that Jesus has for us? And with the Lord's help, consider what it means for us to live with compassion uh, where we are. Um, and as a church, both as individuals and, and collectively. So this text, more specifically, I want to break it down. Is It shows uh, the nature of compassion the lens of compassion, and then I want to look at the, the source of our compassion. So the lens, the nature, and then our source uh, for compassion. So first, the nature of compassion. Okay, so wh where we are in the story is we're picking up where we left off last week. For those of you who remember back then or were here, we talked about J Jesus sending out the disciples, these 12 guys who had been with him for a little while, out on what we'll call a missionary journey. And it, what it said back then, this is chapter 7, uh, verse 8, these were his instructions, take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money, and we talked about how scary that must have been for the disciples. Like, are you serious? We are not qualified for this. Uh, it was, uh, we noted that actually up until this point in the book of Mark, they have already impeded Jesus' ministry a couple of times. They have become exasperated with Jesus a couple of times. And yet Jesus is like, I'm sending you guys out. This is part of the deal. This is how it works. We need to build you up so we can ultimately send you out when I'm not going to be here anymore. And where we pick up today is these guys are coming back from that what would have felt like a scary uh, missionary journey for them, and it was hugely successful. We are told that they went out, they were teaching, and they were uh, having impact spiritually, they were healing people, and so verse 30, right here, the very first verse we're looking at, chapter 6, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught, and we have to figure that they would have been, this would have been really exciting time. I imagine that the disciples were coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, like we were out there. We are doing it. I touched a man, and he began to see. Like, we'd seen you do that, but I, I touched him, and God's power worked through me. And, it, and you can imagine Jesus like, 
yeah, that's what I've been telling you. That's how it works. I've been, you, know, you just need to be relying on me. You just need to have faith. So it would have been a really exciting time for both the disciples and it's a really sweet time for Jesus, seeing them start to get it after having done it themselves. But it must have also been a very tiring time for them. I, I know this culture gets this. I mean, have you ever made a real strong push at work where, you know, you've got to launch a product by that date and there's a lot of anxiety, but there's also a lot of anticipation. You push, you push, and then you get to the end of that. And how are you feeling? I mean, you do a little bit of debriefing, but you just want to, like, relax. You want to rest. I know this is true because there's many of you right before the Christmas break. You guys left in the Christmas break as zombies. And then you came back in January all cheery again. We're all good again. It's just like there's this real collective push in this culture to really build up. And what happens is we need rest. That was happening here, and Jesus recognized that. He said, at verse 31, then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come away with me yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Verse 32, so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. I read that verse this week and I thought, ah, that's the best. I mean, rest is good, but rest with Jesus himself I mean, talk about like a retreat, a spiritual getaway. It wouldn't get better than that. And so these guys on a boat, too. You guys know me. You've heard enough of my sermons. I love boats. It's like, oh, it's a perfect storm. It would be awesome. Um, so real quickly, before we keep moving, rest is good. We need rest. We're built for rest, actually. Uh, you, you, we, we need time to recoup, recuperate physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually as we can. But that's not always the case, as we see here in this text. Um, because wh what happens here is the crowds come. Um, could you imagine uh, being on vacation? You've been uh, planning for months and months to go to, I don't know, Hawaii. And, you know, you get there, and at the same hotel is like five other people from work. And they're like, at the, um, they're going on all the same tours. I mean, it's like, oh. Here they are, you know, they, they went away, and they're on this boat. Jesus has them going away on this boat, and, you know, there's no speedboats back then, so they're just kind of cruising along. And here's all these folks catching up with them. They spot where they're going to land their boat, and they're just like, okay, God, we want more of Jesus. And, uh, you know, the disciples must have been like, oh. And we see some of that in the text as we go. But what does Jesus do? He has compassion. They're tired. They want this intimate, sweet time. But what does Jesus do? Key verse, verse 34, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. So what is compassion? What is compassion? I looked into the, the Greek word that's behind it just because I thought it was interesting and I just wanted to dive into it a little bit deeper. It's, it's really fascinating because when you look into the origins of the word, uh, it has embedded in its meaning a reference to our lower, like, abdomen, like our intestine, I'm not making this up. And actually, especially the womb. It comes back long before even the Bible was written. It had, it had to do with some sacrifice stuff in the day. But colloquial, by the time they were using it then, it had to do with kind of like, you know, you know our guts, essentially. Which is fascinating, because when you look at some of the biblical scholars who look into this, they, some of them even say, you know, it's really too graphic of a word for the Bible writers to be using to describe Jesus' compassion. It's too graphic. Like we shouldn't use that. But I think that's actually kind of the point of what Mark is doing here. You know, for instance, when we say, oh, you know, she has guts or he has guts, we're talking about courage. 
That was kind of what was happening back then. I think what Mark is doing here and what he wants us to understand in terms of Jesus' compassion is he felt so much for these people that it, all, it was like physically hurting him. He saw a need and it felt, it felt, he felt it to his core. That's how much he felt and he loved these people. That's compassion. But by the way, it's not just a thought of sympathy. <clears throat> because whenever you look at all the uses of this word in the New Testament, I looked it up, there's about 12 times it's used. First of all, they are always used in reference with Jesus. Jesus is always the one who this word is used with. He has compassion. Or it's a teaching that he's using. Have compassion. He's teaching like I'm displaying for you. And every single time it's used, this word compassion, it is always, always followed up with action. And we actually even see it here in this text. Verse 34 again, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. So he. So if you want a David definition, if this is helpful for you, um, I see compassion, therefore, as concern and action. You know, in terms of the action, we have a family friend um, who's gone on to do amazing things. Actually, was with my parents, uh, planted a church in San Diego with them as a college student, um, doing amazing things across the globe. A guy named Bob Goff, uh, human rights advocate, a Christian advocate, uh, activist. Um, but he wrote a book that the title captures all of it. Just, you just need to hear the title. Love does. Love does. There's, a, there's an action that goes along with it. And so compassion is a deep concern. It's even to, our, to the core, and it's, it's followed with action. That's compassion. And the nature of it we see here in this text is it is flexible. Uh, do you see that here happening? Because the disciples, what do they want to do? They want to get away with Jesus. And by the way, Jesus, all he wants to do is get away with the disciples. Jesus himself adjusts plans. He wasn't planning for this to happen, and yet compassion is more important to him to help these people, and so compassion needs to be flexible. You know what it seems to me as we, as we begin to think like what this means for us in our culture, in our context? It seems to me we live in a culture that is very structured, and I don't like things being up in the air sort of way. And what I mean by that is we are a culture that is, has very high capacity for the most part. I'm talking obviously in generalities here. It was very high capacity, very focused, very efficient. We get a lot done with very little in a very short amount of time in this culture. Uh, but deviations from the plan, uh, distractions, interruptions from that, uh, that's a little bit harder for us. Uh, those of you guys who are Myers-Briggs folks, uh, the personality test, I think we're more of a J. Like we just, we want things structured. We want to know what the plan is as opposed to, uh, hey, we'll just see what happens today. And so I want to ask you, and maybe this is not you, maybe it is, it, how do you do with interruptions? How do you do when things are happening around you that maybe people need care? Do you even see it? Do you even notice it? Um, compassion is flexible, and compassion should be more important than what is comfortable for us at the time. Now, real quickly, does this mean we just need to, like, always jam, jam, and there's never going to be time for rest? No, this is a unique situation. But the point here, I think Jesus is showing us, is that we do need to be available and open to, even if it's not our first inclination, to care and love for others, to see it. Um, compassion is flexible. To brag on my, my wife a little bit, 
for a second, and there's a, n- a number of you in the room who, who are like this. Uh, it's amazing to me. Uh, just such high capacity, such high level of efficiency. Cindy can just get things done. Just ridiculous. Okay, she's been uh, embarrassed in using this. Um, but one of the things that amazes me is that she's never, and, and you know, she just gets in the zone. I got to get things done. But she's never in the place where she's not checking up on people, especially when they're hurting or in trouble, sending a text, organizing care. There's a number of you like this here, and it's just, I've grown to appreciate it more and more, because I'm not anywhere near that, having that ability, and yet I know for folks like that, interruptions are especially not your natural inclination. Knocking things out is, and to see you stop and focus and have compassion and care and love, even while, man, i got to get this stuff, it's amazing to me. Now, some others of you might be thinking, well, David, that's actually a couple steps ahead of me. I'm actually, if I really think about this, it's hard for me to be, have compassion to begin with. It's just, I mean, that's just where I'm at right now. Maybe it's a season of life. Maybe it's just in general. How do I have compassion? Well, I think what this text shows us is, number one, you would actually be in really good company if this is you. Why? Because this is the disciples. They're not having the most compassion here. It's Jesus' compassion. And by the way, it's a long time before they become compassionate people. In two chapters, Mark 8, we're going to see the feeding of the 4,000. That's what it's called. Today's the feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 4,000 is almost word for word verbatim the exact same situation. The disciples not getting it. Jesus, send them away. We need to give the same thing. These guys don't have compassion necessarily the way you think they would. But by the end of their lives, by the time they're writing parts of the New Testament, writing letters to the church, they are actually, all of them, minus one, being martyred because of their compassion for others. So you'd be in good company if that's you. Um, And what I would say, too, is what this passage shows us is spend time with compassionate people. For starters, of course, Jesus. It doesn't get better. Spend time because compassion is contagious. Jesus is modeling for them compassion. How do they ultimately end up being compassionate? It's because they spent time with Jesus, the compassionate one. And a very uh, easy way to do that, you know, so spending time with Jesus, spending time with community, people who are compassionate. Uh, You know, I can point to things. This last fall, community group uh, season that we had, for me personally, in my life, that because of this group that we were spending time reading the Word, doing things together, that I can say, oh man, I I became more compassionate because of these folks in the group and because of studying this. So here's a, man, there's an application point. We're getting ready to start. That's the way compassion is contagious. It's flexible. Number two we want to look at here, though, is the lens of compassion. Um, what we've seen is Jesus has, he has compassion. He began to teach them. And then I want to read from verses 35 uh, through 38. By this time, it was late in the day, so Jesus' disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they, they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much money on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? Do you have? He asked. Go and see. I just love this about Jesus. Because what is he doing here? He is doing nothing else but setting the disciples up. He is forcing the issue. Because you know Jesus knows they're going to say, it's crazy to think about feeding all these people. By the way, the the text says 5,000 men. 
that is one, one of the places, if you have a translation that's a little older, um, it actually is the word men in this case. Uh, oftentimes, it's actually people. Um, but this one actually is men, meaning there's probably like over 10,000 people when you, you factor in everybody. These guys are like, this is impossible. And Jesus is like, yep. How many loaves do you have? You feed them. I mean, could you imagine that scenario? Um, what's he doing? He is opening their eyes to have faith to join God in what God wants to do, even if it seems impossible. And he wants to do the same with you and me. Jesus could have done this all by himself. Jesus could have fed these guys all by himself. In fact, there's a precedent for it in the scriptures. It's called manna. Jesus literally could have had bread rain down from heaven. Everybody eat. But he deliberately says, you know what, disciples, we're going to do this together. You're going to go around, you're going to pick up the baskets. You're going to see that there are more baskets full of bread than when we started. You're going to be a part of this, and that's the point. He wants to open our faith eyes to partnering with him, even when it seems like he's impo- when, when it's impossible. We had so much fun last Sunday night at the volunteer appreciation dinner uh, for Current. We, we got together, and a bunch of us, uh, this is for all of those who volunteered uh, on a team in, in 2016. If you want to get on this and come to these parties, they're a blast. Uh, you can sign up even tomorrow, today. Um, but we had a ton of fun. We're doing all these games. We eat good food. But there was a point in which we were reflecting on what God has done. I mean, we've just been at this for, for a couple of months. And I remember sharing with, the, with, with these guys, and I remember thinking back, um, back in, before the summer, before we started uh, any of these previous services or doing any of this stuff, we were just saying, you know, I remember saying a couple times, like, God, like guys, God has to show up or we're just going to fall flat on our face. Those of you who are there, you remember me saying that? God's just gonna, we're just going to, we're going to fall flat on our face if God doesn't show up in this. We have to grow, first of all, for any of this to happen. Uh, we need to find a, a, quote, affordable place in Mountain View, let alone uh, available, all those sorts of things. And here we are, God's just moving. Uh, faith decisions. I remember we were sharing, uh, you know, at one point we were doing a prayer meeting. I shared this with, with um, the volunteer team. Um, we were doing a prayer meeting, and uh, one of the gals prayed, and God, would we see people put their faith in Christ this year? And I remember thinking, Yes, amen. God, help my unbelief in that. That's a, that's a big miracle to think about. Um, and yet, by God's grace, it's not about numbers here. We've seen a, about 10 people put their faith in the Lord uh, since starting this thing. Which, did this happen? Is this happening because we have a good strategy? We have a strategy, but no, it is not. It is happening because God is choosing to work, and we get the privilege to partner with him in it. It's happening because a few people and a growing team of people have said, yeah, we, we sense that God might be doing something here. Let's go out and love. Uh, that's this ministry here. It's really God doing the impossible in a place that a lot of people articulate and say it's impossible to do uh, because of his goodness, his kindness. Um, and so he, he wants to partner with you and me and, have, and, and opening our eyes to what he can and, w- and wants to do through us, even if it seems impossible. So what does this look like in your life? It could, any number of ways. I mean, for starters, it'd be, I'd be remiss not to say there's opportunities here to serve a current. I mean, you could join a team. And start, by the way, it's a blast. When we do set up and tear down time, maybe, maybe my favorite time of the week is Sunday mornings, just hanging out and having awesome conversations with people as we're, like, setting this up and making this happen. Um, 
you know, it, the kids group back there. I went back there, and they were having a blast hanging out with the kids. I even asked the question, they're like playing this really fun game. I'm like, who's having more fun here, the kids or like the teachers? It's awesome. But you get to invest in kids' lives. And the next generation, their faith. Uh, you know, I just can't think of, you know, there's these, uh, these community events that we're doing. The pub trivia events, you can help out with the events. Right now, we need a trailer uh, driver. If that's something you can do, that's a, that's a need we have. And by the way, the point is not, hey, we need this or we're just going to. No, the point is there's real opportunity to get invested in things that we see God doing. And it's just such an awesome privilege. And by the way, it's a blast. Um, it's so fun. And so, you know, it could be, it'd be there or maybe in your workplace. Here's the question, I think, as we think about this text, what does it mean for us? Jesus asks it of us. How many loaves do you have? How many? What? abilities and opportunities does God give you where you are at to serve Him and partner with Him? Even though it might seem impossible. In the workplace, how many loaves do you have? Maybe it's unique to you. You know, you're uniquely gifted as an encourager. You can just encourage people. Just be a light that way. Maybe you're a prayerer. never know what that word is. Prayerer, prayer person. I don't know. But you, maybe you have a way of like ministering to people in just a way, unique way to you. Or maybe it's more general. You can get a little uncomfortable to care. Open your eyes and see what people are doing around you. And, and in a way that's natural for you, pointing them to Christ. Which leads us to our last thought. And that is the source of our compassions. Um, I mentioned that, that verse 34 is the key verse. It talks about him having compassion. You know, it was interesting. As I was studying this week, um, this question just kept coming up over and over to me. It's like, okay, um, and I mean this, uh, this is going to be a little bit of verbal processing in front of you, so bear with me as I say this. It's like, what's the big deal? Okay? So, like, Jesus has compassion, but, and he goes on to feed people that they could really have gotten food themselves. Okay? They could have gone off and gotten food. Okay, the scale of the miracle, that is huge. That's a big deal. Um, the fact that he brings the disciples into it, that's a huge deal. But, like, okay, like, how is this meeting a tangible need and all those sorts of things? Like, what's, what's going on there? And then you start to see here, there's so much more going on that Jesus has compassion for. He, it's not just feeding them some, some food. And it's captured in this phrase, he had compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. I read that, and I thought, that means pastorally love. Like, he just wants to hug them and just, like, take care of their needs. And I think that's, that would be a modern-day way of, of interpreting what that phrase there, sheep without a shepherd. But what's interesting is when you look into it, the biblical scholars will say, be careful to read it that way. Not, don't read it that way because that's not what's being implied. That little phrase, sheep without a shepherd, is used about a handful of times in the Old Testament. That is a part of the scriptures before Jesus showed up. And every single time it is used for God's people, it is talking about a shepherd is needed of military power. Jesus is saying these guys need a military victor. Almost every single time it's used, it's talking about Joshua, actually. The guy who defeated the Israelites' enemies and established them in the promised land, which, by the way, Jesus' Aramaic name is a derivative of the Hebrew name Joshua, the Lord saves. Jesus was saying here, these guys are a sheep without a shepherd. He's saying there's so much more than I'm just going to give them a little bit of bread. He was saying, I have compassion so much to my core, it hurts, because these guys need a deliverer. And we know that his deliverance wasn't from the oppressors, that is, the Romans back then. He wasn't interested in that. He was interested in something far 
greater, and that is taking out our biggest oppressors in sin and death. There is a passage in the Old Testament that is so powerful, and it's, so, it's such an important text for any number of reasons. It's the time when God appears to Moses. It's when he receives the Ten Commandments. It's an incredibly important text. It's God himself saying, you want to know who I am? I'm going to tell you straight from my mouth. And this is what he said. It should be up on your screen. Exodus 34. This is God saying about himself. He passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. God himself starts with saying he is known for being compassionate. That is a part of his identity to the core. And yet he is also just. He won't leave the guilty unpunished. And we are all guilty. We know this. We are all guilty with sin in our lives, the wrongdoings. And Jesus on the cross dealt with both of those things. He had compassion and he had deliverance while being perfectly just. And we see that in a sheep without a shepherd. If we could put this text up, I, it just, it's amazing to me what we see here, how Mark uh, 6, verses 41, 42, follow another text that should be pretty familiar. Perhaps it's familiar with you. This is the text we're reading, feeding of the 5,000. Taking the loaves and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. A few chapters later, the night Jesus would be betrayed, arrested, and ultimately taken to the cross, the Last Supper, he said, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take it, this is my body. This feeding of the 5,000 is a foretaste of sheep without a shepherd to the gospel. The reason why Jesus had gut-wrenching compassion is the gospel is on the cross. Jesus offered not just bread that we could eat here and now. He offered the bread of life that is himself. That we could not just eat and be satisfied at the end of verse 42, but that we can eat and be eternally satisfied. That is the gospel. That is Jesus. That is his compassion for us. And I love how verse 42 ends. Uh, excuse me, verse 41 ends. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. Uh, my translation says to set before the people. That is the ministry of the church. Why are we motivated to compassion? It is not because it makes us feel good. Which, by the way, I did a little quick search on Google this, this week. You look up compassion and there's a lot out there. Do compassion because it makes you feel good. Why are we compassionate? Why are we moved to compassion? It's not just because it's a good thing to do. We are moved to compassion because God first loved us and he gave his son as a ransom. And where does compassion happen? Does it happen over there where we know there's a big need, there's great need? It's true. But what this text is showing is that it happens right where you are with what you have now. Um, so let's, let's receive the bread of life. 
And that's Jesus. And the extent that we let this sink into our hearts is to the extent it'll begin to live in and through us. Let's receive the bread of life, and as we can, set it before, distribute it to others. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. Because this compassion that you had for the multitude then is the same compassion you have for us today. One of gut-wrenching hurt that we need a deliverer, a savior. It hurt you so bad that it, it took you to the cross to pay the penalty that we, that we all deserve. And so we love you. And I want to give an opportunity, if you're here today, and you have not received the bread of life, if you've not put your faith in Jesus, you can do that today. It really is straightforward. It says, to all who receive him, to those who believe on his name, he gives the right to become children of God. And if you want to receive the bread of life today, you can do that in your heart. And by way of indicating that, with everybody's eyes closed and head bowed, you can raise your hand now. I'll see it and I'll pray for you. Pray for you to receive Jesus' love, eternal life in his name. If any of you would like to do that, I'll give you a moment. And then for those of us who have received him, uh, I, I think the daily bread is such an awesome illustration. Um, let's just continue to eat from that. Eat from him. Receive him. Take him in. Father, we ask that you'd help us be more compassionate. Um, not because it makes it fe us feel good, which, you know, certainly there's... You know, not because it's even the right thing to do, but because it's, it's just the best reflection of your love for us. And we just want to get that out there. We love you, Father, and we, we continue to worship you in that spirit. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.